Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Today we continue this series looking at Isaiah. And Isaiah really says what all the prophets say, if you think about it. Law, gospel. But I've noticed reading uh, Isaiah, thinking about today, that God seems to frequently say something that's maybe the opposite of what the people want to hear often, or what they see in front of them, and which that's a prophet's job. A prophet's job, or I should say God's job through the prophet, but what a prophet does is he tells you things that are really happening despite what you see in your situation. The prophet interprets the times, or one should say, God reveals what's really going on in their times. And sometimes that's the opposite of what they may see. In fact, maybe always. For example, for uh, Isaiah, like Jeremiah before him, the people of God, the Israelites, especially those in Judah, had enjoyed like a hundred years of relatively good peace. Things are going well. The economy was good. Assyria to the north, Babylon to the west, Egypt below them, but they were sort of stable. They hadn't made major intrusions yet. And so the people of Israel, especially Judah, the southern tribes, thought God must be happy with us. Now, when Isaiah comes on the scene, it was pretty clear that Assyria was about to make some moves into Israel and Babylon also coming this way. But they kind of lived in the fantasy that everything was fine, and if everything was fine, then God must be happy with us. And what was Isaiah's job? To tell them otherwise. And uh, he wasn't like Ford. He kind of reminds me of that character. If you watch Saturday Night Live, there was this one, someone just told me their name, Jennifer Rash. Is that right? Or Rash? I think that's right. But she she was called Debbie Downer. Did you ever see this? And they're at a party, they're at this thing or whatever, and they'd be talking about some accomplishment or celebrating this, and she would always bring up some sad event or fact, you know, and then the music would go, meh, meh, meh. And she'd bring down the whole party. And that, unfortunately, was Isaiah. And quite frankly, that's what God has to do sometimes. The people of Israel, pretending like things are fine, and they're going to live on like this forever, God graciously sends prophets like Isaiah to tell them otherwise. Because it wasn't fine. As Jeremiah made sure they knew, they were worshiping other gods. They were sacrificing their babies, the unborn, to Baal. 
They were finding any God they could, anything that would satisfy them. What have you done for me lately? I'll worship Yahweh, but also let's worship this God and that God. And quite frankly, like we do, you kind of look around and you see the other cultures and the other religions. You're like, well, that seems kind of cool. And they borrow from that and try that. Maybe that'll work. Maybe it'll get me success. And not only were they doing that, but it's always the same thing. God tells us to love God, love one another, and he gets mad when we don't. When you're not loving God, but you have all these other gods, which is so sad to see, worshiping something as dumb as an idol, a piece of wood, or an iPhone, or your career, or the dollar. But when you do that, usually you end up also not loving your neighbor. And so Isaiah points it out so many times in here, how they don't love the weak, they don't take care of the poor. How dare they, my own people of Israel? You don't care, take care of the disabled, you let people just starve to death, you walk on by those who are hurting, and if you read Isaiah, you see him just going after those people right in front of him. And what was their response? Everything's fine. They thought Isaiah was crazy. What do you mean God's mad at us? What's funny is it was an illusion in their own brain. Anybody from the outside could clearly see that Israel's going down, that Assyria was asking more and more money of tribute that eventually they're going to take over. In fact, it had already been laid out as a plan. The new leader of Assyria is going to take over Israel. That was obvious. But it's amazing how we continue these illusions, pretending and pretending to the very last second that we got it all under control. It's all good. You know what I'm talking about? And pretending like everything's fine, even though in our back of our minds, we know the proverbial, you know what's going to hit the fan. And Isaiah was telling him, turn around, repent, stop this, or Assyria's going to come and take away you, and Babylon's going to come and take away Judah. It's all going to end. And you're going to be slaves to other countries. Your homes are going to be ruined because you have disobeyed God and you don't care, take care of his people. But not only if you look at this, he not only says that to Israel, woe is Israel, but he also says this to every other country too, so they don't all get away. Woe to Egypt, right? He goes on, woe to Assyria, also uh, Egypt, uh, Assyria, Babylon, um, and of course Israel. In the first 40 chapters, you just see this constantly, woe is you for not believing or not trusting or not pointing toward the creator, the maker, the one that's cared for you, and for not taking care of those in need. They didn't listen. Sure enough, Assyria came, conquered the northern tribes, took them away. Sure enough, Babylon came, conquered Assyria, and then took over Jerusalem and carried away people from their homes back to Babylon, leveled the place. 
That was the end. That's over hundreds of years of God telling Israel, shape up, come back. I love you. I've redeemed you. I have rescued you from the Pharaoh. I've given you your own land. Just repent. I forgive you. But they didn't. And it seems insane from the outside, but I think that's our lives. The obvious and clear law of God. It's not crazy and it's not arbitrary. Isaiah wasn't saying stuff like, you know, you need to pray five times and you're only praying four times. That's not God's law. He was saying things like, you're worshiping those gods and you're hurting those in need. Real clear. And because nothing bad happened immediately, they kept on doing it. You know, I think we are kind of like that, right? I'm getting away with it. I'm going to keep doing it. And that's what sin does. It makes you stubborn, makes you stupid, even as we do things that not only hurt others, but it definitely is going to hurt us. We can't keep doing this. You can't keep gambling. You can't keep being addicted. You can't keep on doing these things. You're going to go down, and yet we do. And God sends us foreign voices to open our ears and to wake us up. And sometimes it's harsh, but it's just what is needed. So the people don't listen, they suffer the punishment, but the beautiful thing about Isaiah, greater than any other prophet really, the extraordinary language he uses, is that he actually speaks to the people of his day, warning them of of, uh, destruction, and they didn't see it. But then he says strange things to a people who don't even exist yet. In chapter 40 onward, he seems to be talking to a people who have suffered the wrath of God, who have seen their evil met with punishment, who experienced the exile that Isaiah talks about. He speaks to a future people in chapter 40, a people that have been hurt. And he says, comfort, comfort my people, God says. Speak tenderly to this Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. God is coming and he's going to lower every valley and lift, uh, lift every valley and lower every high place. You think you're something else? God's taking you down. You feel worthless. You need forgiveness. He lifts up. A voice says, cry. And what shall I say? All flesh is grass. It's all, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are like grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the words, the promises of the Lord will stand forever. I love this first verse. But you don't understand these words unless you know what it means to be hurt, to be guilty, to have received punishment, and to be awoken to see the disaster that you have caused, 
and the people you've hurt. Does that make sense? This is really important. You don't get it unless you know what it means to be guilty. Comfort, comfort my people. I love this phrase, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, no longer harshly, because they don't need that. They're broken. Be kind, God says. Speak calmly. And I love this language, her warfare is ended. That's just a hint. The warfare of nations against her, sure. But what about the warfare of the struggle of dealing with your sins and your shame and your guilt and fighting in life to please God or to realize how much you have? And what about that inner warfare, the inner turmoil that Israel must be experiencing, that they have clearly wronged God, they deserve what they got, and it's gnawing at their conscience. And God tells Isaiah to speak tenderly to them and announce that the warfare is ended. Now, with these words, right, we hear gospel, don't we? A loving God to a sinful world, but they're general, right? What's incredible about Isaiah, it not only gives us law gospel and clear words of comfort and it's going to be okay and God forgives, we see that all over Scripture, but Isaiah really gets specific that the gospel, the mercy that he's talking about has teeth to it. He gives us a silhouette very specific throughout, unlike any other prophet, I think. So chapter 9 of Isaiah, he writes this. He says this. Uh, I'm sorry, in chapter, in chapter 7, right, he says this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name, God is with us. In chapter 9, it goes on to say, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. But by the way, once again, God speaks in situations that we don't see. It's in the darkness that God brings light, not in the light. It's for those who are ashamed and are broken that God makes sense and brings mercy and grace. So the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased increased joy. Um, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government should be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he will sit in the throne of David, and his kingdom will have no end. Think about this. This vision, these words that uh, Isaiah is speaking to a broken people about what's going to happen. And he's specific. A son of David, born to a virgin, called God with us. Chapter 11, then shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We are getting specific 
about a son of David that's going to bring this comfort and this warfare. But then we hit chapter 53 of Isaiah, written 700 B.C., before people even know they need a Savior. And he writes this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What the heck? This is not general anymore. This is insane. 700 B.C., about a male, a man, who's going to take away the sins of the world, of yours and mine, of Israel who had gone astray, and you and I who go astray. With his wounds we are healed. This is crazy. And sure enough, the son was born to the virgin. Jesus, and he hung around with who? Just like Isaiah said, The gospel is coming to the poor and the needy. literally says that. To those who are hungry and thirsty, they will be fed. To the lame, they will walk. And to the sinner, they will be forgiven. And what did Jesus do? He did exactly those miracles. And he hung around exactly with those people. And on the mount, he said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those of broken spirit. But more than that, of course, as we know, he indeed gave us his body and gave us his hands and was pierced for our transgression to save Israel, to receive double for Israel's sins, and through him forgive Israel, but also you too. All nations, Jesus says, all ethnicities, all sinners, Christ has died and risen for. Comfort, comfort, my people. Your warfare has ended. Isaiah's words are for you. They point to Jesus, but they teach us a lot about right and wrong, and they teach us a lot about law and gospel. And that comfort is yours if you're brokenhearted, if you got guilt. If you got shame, if you know what it's like to live in warfare, it's ended. Christ has finished it, and he's given to you the victory.
enjoy that, and may we see others around us living in warfare, carrying shame and carrying guilt. They need to hear these words of Isaiah 2, that someone has taken that for them, and God calls them back and loves them. In Jesus' name, amen.